Chapter 39 of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mawat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 39 Ministration. Maurice, exasperated as he was at his grandmother's insolence to his cousin, well knew that any attempt to soothe Madame de Gremont or even to reconcile her to the inevitable, would be fruitless. Her domineering spirit could not bow itself to be governed, even by the pressure of inexorable circumstance. She strove to control events by ignoring their existence, and to break the force of her calamity by encasing herself in an iron mail of resistance, which, she thought, no blows could penetrate. This was her state when she hastened to her own chamber and was about to lock herself in under the conviction that she could shut out the phantom of misery which seemed to dog her steps. "'I will return this evening and let you know how my father progresses,' said Maurice, as she was closing the door. She reopened it without moving her hand from the silver knob. "'Then you persist in going back to that house?' Would you have me leave my father without a son's care? I shall remain at Madeleine's while it is necessary for my father to stay there. Maurice spoke with a decision that admitted no argument. The countess shut her door, and the sound of the turned key was distinctly audible. How she passed the succeeding hours no one knew. She was not heard to move. She answered no knock. She took no notice of Bertha's petition that her dinner might be brought to her. She was not again seen until the next morning. There is no proverb truer than the one that suggests that even an ill wind blows someone good. Bertha was the gainer by her aunt's seclusion. She had full liberty, and for a large portion of the time she did not enjoy her freedom alone. Madeleine had been actively employed during the absence of Maurice. Her first step was to send for an upholsterer. Other arrangements followed, which quickly converted the drawing-room into a comfortable bedroom. She herself proposed to take such rest as she found needful upon the sofa in her boudoir. The upholsterer had arrived, and Madeleine had no difficulty in making him comprehend her plan of completely shutting off the staircase, which led to the exhibition and working rooms above by means of drapery. She had felt bound thus far to consult the Countess's desire for privacy. A separate entrance from the street was out of the question, but the draperies were to be disposed in such a manner that the instant Madame de Gremont and her family passed the threshold they were completely secluded. Madeleine was standing in the hall giving her orders when Maurice reappeared. Finding her occupied, he passed on to his father's chamber. It was now six o'clock. Dinner was served for three persons. Madeleine summoned her housekeeper and requested her to watch beside Count Tristan while his son dined. On entering the Count's room, Madeleine assured herself that there was no change in the patient's condition, and then said, "'Come, Ruth, dinner is served. Come, Maurice. If you assume the office of guard-malade, 
I must take care that your strength is not exhausted. Her cheerfulness dispelled some of the heavy gloom that hung about Maurice, and he rose and followed her. She led the way through the apartment, which had been the drawing-room, and, pointing to the bed, said, That is for you. This is your bedchamber. Mine? I do not expect to need a bed. I mean to sit up with my father. Yes, tonight, but not every night, she added, with playful imperativeness. I shall not allow that. And, you see, I have taken the reins into my own hands, and show a little of that degrément love of rule has descended to me with its blood. They entered the dining-room. Maurice was struck by the air of combined simplicity and elegance which characterized all the appointments. The dinner, too, was simple but well-cooked. Maurice had no appetite at first, but was soon lured to eat. Everything placed before him appeared so inviting. Then it was delightful to see Madeleine sitting quietly opposite him, looking even lovelier than she did in those happy, happy bygone days in the ancient chateau. Ruth's pretty and pleasant countenance and another time might have been an addition, but we fear that Maurice at that moment did not appreciate the presence of a very modest and attractive young girl who reflected in her own person not a few of Madeleine's virtue. The repast was of brief duration, but Madeleine was the one who partook of it most sparingly. She enjoyed so much seeing Maurice eat that she could not follow his example. Maurice and Madeleine returned to Count Tristan's apartment together. Soon after, Dr. Bayard paid another visit, but expressed no opinion. Maurice went back to the hotel to keep his promise to his grandmother. There was no response when he knocked at her door, no reply, though he spoke to her that she might hear his voice and know who was there. Bertha and Gaston were sitting together. Albeit the conversation in which they were engaged appeared to be singularly absorbing, the latter said, do you immediately return to Mademoiselle Madeleine's? If so, I will accompany you, and, as I suppose you will watch beside your father, we will sit up together. Maurice assented, and they set forth, that is, as soon as Bertha, who detained them, first upon one plea and then upon another, would permit. But when Madeleine learned Gaston's friendly proposition, she answered, we shall not need you. Maurice is hardly experienced enough for me to trust him just yet. I intend to sit up tonight. Tomorrow night, Maurice must rest. At least part of the night, and then, Monsieur Dubois, we will be glad to claim you as a watcher. There was no appeal from Madeleine's decision. She exerted a mild authority which was too potent for argument. After Gaston departed, Madeleine, for a brief space, left Maurice alone with his father. When she stole back to her place at the head of the bed, she was attired in a white cambric wrapper, lightly girded about the waist. A blue shawl of some soft material fell in graceful folds about her form. She had entered with such a soundless step that when Maurice saw her sitting before him, he started, and his breath grew labored, as though, for a second, he fancied that he gazed upon some unreal shape. The flowing white drapery, the delicate azure folds of the shawl, helped the illusion, 
which her musical voice would scarcely have dispelled, but for the sense of reality produced by the words she uttered. It is just eleven, that is the hour at which the medicine was to be given. She took up the cup and administered a spoonful of its contents before Maurice had quite recovered himself. The silence which followed did not last long. Madeleine began to question Maurice concerning his life in America, his opinions, his experiences, the people he had known and esteemed, and he responded in subdued tones by a long narrative of past events. It was the first time that Maurice had been called upon to watch beside a bed of sickness, and his was one of those vivacious temperaments to which sleep is so indispensable that an overpowering somnambulance will fling its charms about the senses and bear the spirit away captive, even in the soul's most unwilling moments. Five o'clock had struck when Madeleine perceived that her companion's eyes had grown heavy, and that he was making a desperate struggle to keep them open. With womanly tact, she leaned her elbow on the bed, and rested her forehead on her hand, in such a manner that her face was concealed, and thus avoided any further conversation. In less than ten minutes, the sound of clear but regular breathing apprised her that Maurice had fallen asleep. When she looked up, at first timidly, but soon with security, Maurice was lying back in his armchair. His hands were folded calmly together, his head drooped a little to one side, the rich chestnut curls, for his hair had darkened until it no longer resembled Bertha's golden locks, were disordered and fully revealed his fair, intellectual brow. The parlor of his face rendered more than usually conspicuous the chiseling of his finely cut features. The calm, half-smiling curve of his handsome mouth gave his whole countenance an expression of placid happiness, which it had not worn of late in waking hours. Madeleine sat and gazed at him, as she could never have gazed when his eyes might have met hers. She gazed until her whole soul flashed into her face, and if Maurice had awakened and caught but one glimpse of the fervent radiance of that look, he would surely have known her secret. There is intense fascination to a woman in scanning the face that to her is beyond all others worth perusing, when the soft breath of sleep renders the beloved object unconscious of the eyes bent tenderly upon his features. No check is given to the flood of worshipping love that pours itself out from her soul. Then, and perhaps then only, in his presence, she allows the tide of pent-up adoration to break down all its natural barriers. However perfect her devotion at other times, there may, there always does exist a half-involuntary reticence, a secret fear that if even her eyes were to portray the whole wealth of her passion, it would not be well with her. Men are constitutionally unconsciously ungrateful. Give them abundance of what they covet most, and they prize the gift less highly than if its measure were stinted. 
and women have an instinct that warns them not to be too lavish. Those women who love most fervently, most deeply, most internally, seldom frame the full strength of that love into words, or manifest it in looks even, that is, in the waking presence of one who holds their entire being captive. Maurice slept on. Though the streets had long since become noisy, and doorbells were ringing, and there was a sound of hammering in the entry, the upholsterer at work, and steps could be distinguished passing up and down the stair. Madeleine, who at one period of her life had been used to night vigils, hardly felt fatigued, but she knew that she must hoard her strength if she would have it last to meet prolonged requirements. She touched Maurice softly, but he was not roused until she had made several efforts to break his slumber. He looked about him in bewilderment, and then at the white-robed figure before him as though it were an apparition. "'It is I, and no ghost,' said Madeleine. "'The morning has come. Go and lie down for a couple of hours to refresh yourself. I will do the same. Mrs. Lawkins will stay with your father.' "'Have I really been asleep?' asked Maurice, in a tone of mortification. "'Asleep while you were waking. What a stupid brute I am!' have brutes easy conscience, for that is said to be a man's best lullaby. You must consider yourself still subject to my orders. Go and lie down. You shall be called to breakfast at nine o'clock. That will give you two hours rest. As for me, I shall fall asleep in a few moments. Maurice yielded. Madeleine did not fall asleep quite as soon as she predicted, but after a time she sank into a refreshing slumber. At nine o'clock, the ringing of the alarm she had taken the precaution to set awoke her. She stole to Maurice's door, but had to knock several times before she could arouse him. He was again enjoying that blessing which he had lately professed to despise. "'What is it? Who is there?' he cried out at last. It is I, Madeleine. Nine o'clock has just struck. We will breakfast as soon as you are ready to come into the dining room. She returned to her boudoir and made a hasty toilette, substituting for her simple white wrapper another somewhat richly embroidered and trimmed with pale blue ribbons. We reluctantly venture upon the suggestion, for it would indicate a decided weakness, quite unworthy of Madeleine's good senses, but there is just a possibility that she remembered she was to breakfast once more with her lover. And her artistic eye selected the most becoming morning dress in her possession. Ruth had breakfasted some hours before. Madeleine and Maurice sat down to pay table alone. In spite of the grief which lay in the depths of both their hearts, it must be avowed that both experienced a sense of calm felicity which made them shrink from contemplating the past or look forward to the future. The delicious present was all-sufficient. Maurice wondered at himself, was almost angry with himself, and then he looked across the table and wondered no longer. Madeleine was less astonished at her own pleasant emotions. 
partly through discipline and partly through temperament she always caught up all the sunshine of the passing hour even though she did not lose sight of the clouds that lay in the distant horizon how often the present beams had pierced their way through thick darkness to reach her come and tell me what you think of my invention said she as they rose from the table and opened the door which led into the hall the upholsterer had already completed his work a crimson drapery was suspended from the ceiling to the ground along the whole length of the entry and entirely shut out the staircase at the street door this drapery was so skilfully arranged that a person visiting the apartments on the first floor could at once pass out of sight will not these curtains render this portion of the house quite secluded i hope they will make your grandmother feel less aversion to coming here what resources you have madeleine and how kindly you employ your fertile ingenuity who would have thought of such an arrangement why any one who took the trouble to sit down and think about the matter at all possibly some people might not have been in the habit of exercising their ingenuity enough to do that but any one who took the trouble to reflect how the desired object could be accomplished would have seen the difficulties melt away under the touch of fairy fingers returned maurice admiringly ah that is an old superstition of yours which you have not quite outlived will you not go to your grandmother now she may be expecting you and must be anxious for news she showed great anxiety last night replied maurice bitterly maurice we have no right to judge her unless we ourselves experienced her sensation we cannot even comprehend her state speak to her this morning as though you had parted in all affection yesterday and bring her here if you can for her own sake try to bring her here shortly after maurice left madeleine received another letter from lord linden finding that she did not reply to the first he had called upon her twice on the day previous but greatly to his mortification had been denied later in the day his wounded vanity was somewhat soothed by learning the calamity which had befallen count tristan at madeleine's house though his lordship could hardly deem even such an event sufficient excuse for her tardiness in replying to a letter of so much importance in reality madeleine had entirely forgotten her suitor and his letter she glanced hastily over his second epistle and without further delay wrote a few frigid lines conveying a definite refusal of the proposed honour with which he had followed his proposition of dishonour it is needless to describe lord linden's emotions when this response reached him madeleine's language was so cuttingly cold yet so full of dignity that he could only curse the rash blindness which could have permitted him to make dishonourable advances to such a woman he ordered his trunk to be packed and left washington by the afternoon's train bertha had not seen madame de Gramont from the time she locked herself in her chamber until the breakfast hour next day the maid mademoiselle de merivelle brought with her from paris was in the habit of attending the countess as punctiliously as she did her own mistress 
but her services were, for the first time, dispensed with on the night previous. Bertha was oppressed by a vaguely uncomfortable sensation when she entered the room where breakfast awaited her, and found the apartment vacant. In a few moments the countess entered. How frightfully old she had grown in a single night! Her step, which used to be so firm and measured, was feeble, uncertain, and heavy. Sixty-six years had not bowed her straight shoulders, but now they stooped. The blow of an iron hand had bent them at last. Her features had grown sharp and hard, and the lines looked as though they had been cut to twice their usual depth. The mouth appeared to have fallen, the corners pressing downward. One might have thought that tears had scalded away the luster and dimmed the vision of the dark eyes that yesterday flashed with such steel-like brilliancy. The soft white locks, that were usually arranged with so much skill, hung partially uncurled and scarcely smoothed about her face, adding to the desolation of her whole appearance. Bertha was impressed with greater awe than she had ever experienced towards her aunt in the latter's most imperious moments, yet the young girl mustered courage to advance and embrace her, more timidly, perhaps, but also more tenderly than was her wont. The countess permitted her own cold lips to sweep Bertha's forehead, but they could hardly be said to press upon it a kiss. As they sat at table, Bertha, whose tongue had a gift for prattling, could not make an effort to speak. The countess had not tasted food since light, noonday repast of the previous, yet she now swallowed her cup of coffee as though it nearly choked her, and tried in vain to force down a few morsels of bread. Nothing would have induced her to depart from the custom of her country where coffee and bread are considered all-sufficient for the first meal. They had returned to the drawing-room when Maurice entered. The countess greeted him with an inclination of the head, but asked no questions. "'My father seems to be in the same state,' said he. "'There was no change during the night.' He does not appear to suffer, but as yet he is not conscious. Madame de Grémont made no reply, but her breast visibly heaved. "'Did you sit up?' asked Bertha. "'Are you not very much fatigued? Did Madeleine watch also? Is she not very weary?' "'Not very, nor am I.' Then he returned to his grandmother. "'Will you come with me to see my father?' You will find that every arrangement possible has been made for your privacy. The lips of the countess curled scornfully, but she rose and passed into her chamber. I must make ready also, cried Bertha, flying out of the room. I am so glad that we are to go. She returned wearing her bonnet and mantle. It was some time before the countess re-entered, prepared to depart. Maurice had ordered a carriage, and they were soon at Madeleine's door. If the countess noticed the draperies which closed off a portion of the house, she gave no sign of doing so. Madeleine was sitting beside Count Tristan, but rose to yield her place to his mother. 
Madame de Grémont only betrayed that she was aware of her niece's presence by a slight movement of her head, while her eyes looked past her towards the passive figure lying on the bed. She took the vacant seat with a sort of frozen quietude, and her limbs seemed to settle themselves rigidly into positions where they remained immovable. Madeleine at once retired, knowing that her presence must be galling to the proud relative whose circumstance thus forced into contact with her. Nor did she re-enter the room again while the countess was there. Maurice remained with his father and grandmother, but Bertha stole away to Madeleine's boudoir. Monsieur de Bois, who had called to inquire after the count and to know of what service he could be, found the cousins together. Madeleine, whose wealth of energy rendered idleness, when it could be avoided, another name for weariness, had seated herself at her desk and was making sketches for Ruth to copy. Bertha sat beside her, destroying pencils in her awkward attempt to sharpen them. Madeleine did not desist from her occupation, but Bertha's was quickly at an end. She and her lover conversed for a while, then Gaston offered to show her Madeleine's conservatory, and then they passed into the garden. What wonder that they found unknown charms in the opening flowers. Was it not a spring morning, and was there not spring in their hearts? Was it not life's blossoming season with them? At noon luncheon was served and Madeleine, in remembrance of her guest, had given such especial instructions to Mrs. Lawkins that the luncheon closely resembled the déjeuner à la fourchette, served at that hour in France. As Bertha was still in the garden, Madeleine passed into the conservatory and called her. Will you not go in, Bertha, and see if you can induce the Countess to accompany you and Maurice to the dining room? Say that I will remain with Count Tristan while they take luncheon. Bertha went on her errand, but quickly returned with Maurice. My aunt does not seem disposed to eat. In reality, Bertha had received no answer from the Countess. Did Madeleine expect that Madame de Gremont would break bread under her roof? The haughty aristocrat would sooner have perished of hunger. Then we will go to table together, replied her hostess, disappointed in spite of herself. Monsieur de Bois, will you join us? The meal passed off very quietly, very pleasantly. Bertha and Gaston were happy enough in each other to have thought a repast of bread and cheese a banquet. Maurice could not but be penetrated by the charm of sharing Madeleine's home, and, at table, where she presided with such a graceful ease, he never forgot that it was in her home he was dwelling. Madeleine herself could not gaze upon the little circle of beloved ones from whom she had been so long separated, and who were now so singularly drawn around her, without feeling supremely happy. In the midst of sorrow, there are often given, to soften and render it endurable, passing flashes of absolute joy. When they rose from table, Maurice returned to his father's chamber. His grandmother still sat erect and statue-like in her chair as though she had not moved. The hours flew by only too rapidly with Bertha, however they might have dragged on in the sick chamber. 
Monsieur de Bois, also, must have lost all consciousness of time, for he did not propose to take his departure, and could Madeleine, even by a hint, dismiss him from her own house? Past five o'clock, said she, looking up from her drawing, Bertha, pray ask Maurice to come to me. When Maurice obeyed the summons, Madeleine remarked, showing him her watch, You see how late it is. I fear the Countess will become exhausted for want of food. It is in vain to hope that she could be induced to dine here. Had you not better conduct her home and return? Yes, certainly. It would be the wisest plan. How thoughtful you are. Shall I send for a carriage? I fear she would not enter mine, or I would order that. I suppose not. It is wonderful to what cruel and inconsistent length that she carries her pride. It is not our place, Maurice, to measure its length or analyze its working. There is Robert in the hall. Tell him to call a carriage. When the carriage arrived, the Countess, Bertha, and Maurice drove away together. End of chapter 39